Today on Refried Reviews, Superman is English for Ubermensch. <laughs> <laughs> Back everybody to Refried Reviews. I'm John. I'm JP. And guys, we uh, we finally fucking did it. <laughs> we finally uh, revisited a uh, a real big uh, cinematic sore spot for me personally. I think less a degree for you, JP. Right? I hadn't seen it at all until recently. Oh, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> oh, sorry, dude. Um, I'm sorry I did this to you. Well, I do know that this was like early in the podcast. This has been boiling for a long time. As like that's one we should do, but I don't think I'm ready. Yeah, I'm not sure I was. Like I'm a little <laughs> bit. Uh, I, I think I got like Stockholm syndrome a little bit or something. I'm not sure. But yeah, guys, we uh, we watched. Uh, 2013's Man of Steel, directed by um, Ochoa, um, <laughs> Zack Snyder. Um, yeah, this uh, we thought we'd cover it because um, recently Zack Snyder uh, lit a garbage fire on all of our lawns in the form of a two and a half hour mope fest, um, which I actually haven't seen yet, and uh, I'm waiting for it to show up in a dollar theater before I'll give him my money. <laughs> and uh, if John sounds discombobulated, it's because we finished literally moments ago, unlike yes. how we normally do this. Yeah, guys, um, I'm feeling a lot of different emotions right now, um, and they're all, ooh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Man of Steel was uh, the reboot of the Superman franchise. You guys are probably all pretty familiar with it. And, um, yeah, having just seen it again, like, it seems like he definitely, like, was looking at the whole thing, and he said this in interviews, through the lens of, like, a first contact narrative. Mm -hmm. But he's also looked at it, in my opinion, through the lens of uh, Ayn Rand's philosophy. <laughs> um, it was, like, really objectivist, uh, especially in the first half and, like, how the, the film deals with whether or not Clark should, like, use his powers and when. Um, but anyway, uh, so tell me about what, what when, when did you first watch this? It was, like, a few weeks ago, right? And what did you think then? Compared to, like, its reputation, because I think we all know that this film has a bit of a reputation. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, I'd certainly heard plenty about it yeah. and um, had held off seeing it. I mean, not not for any special reason, but I, I didn't feel a huge desire to go out and see it, based yeah. on what I heard. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it was sort of in preparation to, to see Batman v Superman. I figured I should finally check this out. What'd you think? <laughs> My The biggest reaction that I had was I was actually kind of tickled. At, from day one, all I heard about this movie was the destruction in the third act. Yeah. And that it doesn't disappoint at all. And there's like a fake out where you think it's done. And then there's just more and more buildings falling. Yeah. And it's like, I am slack jawed, despite the fact that I've heard nothing <laughs> but this scene when it comes to It really to this is movie. just fucking astonishing. Like, <laughs> even, even in the earlier scene uh, of the fight in Smallville, like... The scale of just just wanton devastation <laughs> is incredible, and I actually like just to to get rid of the elephant in the room. Um, I actually like was bothered by that less this time around. Maybe it's just because I knew to expect it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I did like so much of it. I I wasn't bothered by the scale of the destruction when it was being caused by Zod. Um, and his cronies like mm -hmm. that's kind of good like if you want to show like the scope of what these beings are capable of um, in terms of the the harm they can inflict on humanity and then have Superman come in and save it that's a good idea mm -hmm. that's not what this film does <laughs> no um, not only does Superman like straight up like fly a guy through a 7-Eleven and blow up somebody's <laughs> car uh, he uh, and then like throw another guy into a train yard and from the looks of it just blow up the train yard um, and everyone working there because it's I mean it's the, the afternoon when the small fight happens and it's also I mean odds are it's a weekday um, right. so like people are at work um, but then also like the US Army is down to just rain ordinance down on like small town Kansas and they seem happy to like do a lap and then do another one the other way just to make sure when like you have people cowering in the stores on both sides of the street yeah and... it almost like they had that scene at the beginning of the Smallville fight where like Superman's walking down the street and he's like everybody get inside it's not safe and that's supposed to be oh look he's like that's all that Zack Snyder feels is necessary to show us that he's concerned for human life I I contend it would have been better if they had just cut that out because now we know where the people are right they're inside the thing blowing up that's a good point you know just just act like it's abandoned like maybe the maybe cut to like a football game where the whole town is and then they look over and they're like hey someone's blowing up our town um, 
That would have been better. It does feel like they could have made it a little bit more Zod-centric, like if he was aiming the fight towards cities. Yeah. But it seemed pretty 50-50 of, oh, we're in this field, maybe I'll just knock him over towards that huge population center. Yeah. As opposed to pulling him in the air or kicking him, you know, yeah. toward the mountain. Yeah. Like, that's the, the biggest opportunity this movie missed, because it, it, it also would have played into the larger themes of it if they had shown Superman trying to save people and then shown how impossible that was, and then the ending moment where Superman has to kill Zod would have meant so much more. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, you know, I, 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 I say this, I said this right after the, we, we, the, the credits rolled, was that like the one-page version of this movie isn't that bad. Mm-hmm. Um, the basic ideas and the basic themes it's grappling with are almost kind of good. Um, that's right, everybody. Almost <laughs> kind of good. That's my review of Superman. He's um, stumbling over some interesting ideas here. Yeah, like, you know, a blind pig finds an acorn, I guess. Um, <laughs> like, it's, it's, yeah, okay, let's, let's, let's start at the beginning. Yeah. I don't, I don't, I don't want to do this enough. You do it. It's, uh, I just, I don't want to. <laughs> well, let's, let's talk a little bit about your backstory. You saw the oh, yeah. theaters the first time? Yeah, so I, uh, I was actually pretty excited for it based on the trailers. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have the animosity towards Zack Snyder that I have now because like he, <laughs> he hadn't like hurt me personally. Sure. Um, I really like his Dawn of the Dead remake. I think it's quite good. Mm-hmm. Um, 300 is, eh, it's 300. Sure. Um, <laughs> it's an experience of some kind. Yeah, I haven't seen Sucker Punch. And I actually kind of like Watchmen. Or at least I did the first time I saw it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it... Uh, it doesn't understand what made Watchmen good stylistically because mm-hmm. so much about Watchmen was about demystifying superheroes so that like, you know, Night Owl kind of has a paunch and like the fights are supposed to just be these fast kind of sloppy affairs, almost like people fighting in like Breaking Bad. Right, um, right. But instead he shot the fight scenes in slow motion and used Kung Fu because he thinks that <laughs> everything should look cool um, even when it doesn't serve the source material. But that was fine. Um, it wasn't that bad. And then this came along. And based on the trailers, I was like, oh, man, like they're really capturing like the majesty of Superman and how inspirational he is because Superman's really close to me. I really uh, I, I like I love this character. I, uh, I, you know, was more of a Batman guy until about like five, six years ago. And then I started reading really good Superman stories and realizing that all like the complaints people have about him. Oh, he's too powerful. Um, all that stuff is like just a based on a fundamental misread of the character. Like the point of Superman is that he is so powerful but he doesn't use his power for what we all probably would use it for, which is self-gratification or even conquering. Mm-hmm. Um, he decides, I'm going to humble myself and I'm going to help other people and blend into the background. Like, it's it's that, that moment of self-denial that makes him so powerful. And watching him... I mean, it's almost just like Jesus Christ in the desert um, <laughs> for, for his entire lifetime. It's like, no, you could have all these things. And he says, no, I don't want that. I just want to help people around me. Um, and I think there's a very specific character that gives him those values. And we're going to be returning to him. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, yeah, and the, pack, the fact that he is really powerful, I think, adds an interesting aspect to the fact that he can't save everyone. Which yeah. is kind of a part of every hero story, but he he is sort of powerful enough that he could stop any individual situation. Yeah, it's more the can't be everywhere at once problem. Yeah, and him him reconciling himself to that, which uh, you know maybe that's why the end of this movie turns out the way it does. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, um, but yeah, he, he he was always really close to my my heart. I mean, what about you? What did you were you a Superman guy uh, growing I mean, up? Did you did you see the other movies? I've probably seen all of the movies at least once over the course of my life. I used to watch the old black and white show on like Nick and George Reeves. whenever they were on it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm not especially close. Like, I, I enjoyed comics and knew a lot about the world. I, I wasn't like a, a voracious reader that would consume tons of arcs and things, but yeah. I was a little bit more on the Marvel side. Yeah. So sort of I'm more familiar and know the world and know comic book conventions more than I necessarily love Superman directly. Fair enough. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, fast forward to, uh, 2013 when I'm sitting in that movie theater (laughs) and like, it just felt like something was off. Like I sat down expecting like my Superman and that's just not him. Mm -hmm. Um, and not even in like, uh, oh, here's here's Clark Kent, like trying to figure it out and being kind of shitty at it. 
Like, that's a story they could tell. And that's a story they kind of act like they're telling um, for a while. Like, that's one of the things about this movie is that, like, that hit me this time around is that it's not, like, crystallizing around a point of view because it keeps having to go make things look awesome. Um, <laughs> and that just keeps not serving its themes. Mm-hmm. Um you know, if this movie's about Clark trying, like there are those moments where, um, like w- at the end when he's fighting Zod and they're on the construction scene and uh, construction site, and uh, Zod's taking his armor off and he says, "I was trained by you know the finest military commanders." I was, who, where did you train? On a farm, um, <laughs> and it's like, oh yeah, he is an amateur. Like we're acknowledging that for a second. Um, and then at some point, another Kryptonian comments, uh, I think during the Smallville fight, about how like he's sloppy and and just like a kid trying to keep up. And, like, that's a cool idea. And that's also an idea that they could have carried through to explain away a lot of the other shit that this movie wants to do. But they don't, like, hang on it nearly enough. They don't let... They don't have Clark acknowledge that. It's just these two little throwaway lines of, like, oh, yeah, maybe he is. So, like, if I really want to, like, do half of this movie's work for it, (laughs) then I can carry that through. Mm -hmm. Um... Well, like I thought, his the the sloppy flying when he's first figuring it out, I, yeah. I thought was one of the most fun sequences in the movie. Yeah, and taken on its own, that might be the best two minutes of Superman footage ever <laughs> produced. Like I'm not kidding, it's uh-huh. great. Just the joy on his face because he's held himself back for his whole life, and to get to let go, like is is just so cathartic for him and for the audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like that's that seems like it's having fun with the idea that he is an amateur and everything. Yeah. But very similarly to when Zod shows up there, it feels like they learn in an afternoon, yeah. you know, sort of how to do this and, and how to control X-ray vision and all yeah. these kinds of things. So the, it makes for interesting spectacle. And I, I like the, the X-ray <laughs> vision effect. I thought that was sort of a cool way to oh, yeah. talk about how disorienting the whole thing Oh, yeah, when be. he's a kid in class yeah, and, like, yeah. the, the X-ray vision starts kicking in. Like, can you imagine me a nine and that happening <laughs> to you? That would be petrifying. Yeah. So that, like, it, it comes up with a cool effect and it looks cool in the sequence that it's used in, but it, it feels so cordoned off yeah. of these little moments of joy layered throughout. Yeah. And it feels like these things, these transitions happen in a scene. Yeah. I don't think the movie gives you a great idea that he's been training or getting better or that his, he's starting to understand how it works. Yeah, yeah. It seems like Zack Snyder just keeps, like... He's got more in common with a pornographer than he than he'd probably like to admit, <laughs> because he keeps having to go show you the money shot uh-huh. um, when it's not like that's not what you need. You need to be doing the work right now, buddy. Um, so I guess to start at the beginning, we um, we we I guess I'll I guess I'll do it. It's, uh, <laughs> well, I, I actually just one quick thing uh, yeah. before we jump into a lot of the problems with this. Yeah. Just. Uh, I wanted to jump from an, uh, uh, an aesthetic point of view and like a casting point of view and the stuff that doesn't have to do with the bizarre story choices and things like that. What, what did you think of just sort of the cast, the look of it? Um, so the cast is all right. Um, mm-hmm. They all do a fine job with what they're given. Um, I don't think anybody's performance is bad. I think uh, Michael Shannon's having the most fun. Yeah. Because <laughs> um, he, I think Michael Shannon knows what kind of movie he's in. <laughs> um, and he's just going to swing for the fucking fences. I think that uh, Henry Cavill's an okay Superman. Um, he's not, like, he doesn't really hit the big moments convincingly. Like, at the end when he has to snap Zod's neck. I mean, the script isn't doing him any fucking favors. Mm-hmm. But he still doesn't quite show up for that stuff. And he doesn't seem to do much beyond, like, moping. Mm -hmm. Um, He doesn't have a whole lot of range, but he's also not, like, offensive. Um, Amy Adams is just completely wasted in this script. Um, And uh, I think uh, Richard Schiff as Dr. Emile Hamilton is probably, like, (laughs) behind Zod the best part. Mm What do you think of the the cast in particular? Yeah, I I would agree that I think... He's a decent Superman. I don't necessarily get sort of the Americana warmth that like that Chris yeah. Evans has kind of built up. Yeah. Where like Chris he, Evans is a great counterexample. Yeah. Where it feels like I mean he has moments when he's angry and like he doesn't feel totally one note, but there is sort of like the understanding of what you're portraying and that he is yeah. kind of the American hero and the classic hero archetype. And again, with like one or two lines, they allude to it. Like at the end when he's like, I'm from Kansas. I'm about as, I was, I was born in Kansas. I'm about mm-hmm. as American as they come general. Like that line is alluding to, Oh yeah, of course we can trust him because he's, this is his adopted home. But like, 
it's all like that theming is just hidden behind this big morass of oh it's falling buildings that's what it is it's behind a bunch of falling buildings uh, um like did you get that feeling that i'm talking about of like seeing these glimpses of ideas that like weren't none of them were like service the way they needed to be Am I making sense? Yeah, I mean, you mentioned earlier having higher hopes from the trailer. And yeah. I think the trailer does a great job of these moments. Like, it picks a lot of the, the interesting-looking ones yeah. and make it seem like there's a more dramatic arc to yeah. what Superman's doing and how the world at large is reacting to it. Yeah. It's, it's really not the movie that it was advertised in no. a lot of ways, which mostly hurt it. I thought that him being called out in front of Earth... Um, was probably the biggest aspect that I didn't know was coming that I thought yeah. was pretty cool. Yeah. No, that makes sense. He, uh, it, it's, so as far as uh, you, you asked about the look of the thing, um, you know, it, uh, it actually looked better this time around than it did last time. Like, I, I had some memories of Zack Snyder just, like, fundamentally not being able to cover a scene mm -hmm. um in particular the scene where jonathan kent dies um i remember that in the theater like not making any sense to me at all in terms of like where the underpass was in relation to the car in relation to the tornado and why like he wasn't able to get back but mm -hmm. actually like going back it's actually like reasonably well shot i think it's got uh particularly on krypton at the beginning it's got a lens flare boner that i think it needs to put away <laughs> um and I, did, I did notice, like, everything seems so intentionally framed. Yeah. And I love that during the, uh, probably the worst Pa Kent moment, they give him a little halo of light. Yes. As he's yes, they giving do. Superman the worst lesson <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> oh, God. So let's... I mean, do you want to do the full-on synopsis, or do you want to just kind of just kind of attack this thing? Um, I mean, I guess to, to just sort of quickly get through the beginning... Uh, uh. I, I'm generally not that familiar with all the Superman lore, and yeah. sort of, uh, I'm not familiar with having that much off of Earth, I guess is what I'm getting yeah, at. Yeah. So the opening sequence was kind of longer than I thought it would be. Yeah, I'm used to it just being kind of like a footnote that he arrived on the show. Yeah. <laughs> we spend a pretty decent amount of time on Krypton here. I mean, even the original Superman with uh, Christopher Reeve like starts on Krypton. Mm -hmm. um, it actually sets up Superman 2 at the beginning of Superman 1. The first thing we see is the Kryptonian Science Council uh, banishing Ursa, Non, and Zod to the Phantom Zone. And and then the second one, they get out. Um, but here, we're basically doing redoing much of the same stuff. The main thing that this movie added uh, that had never been part of like Krypton before was the whole uh, codex, um, like everybody's predetermined and genetically engineered to fit into our society thing, which. Wow. Um, <laughs> like, to, to just begin, like, the Ayn Randy shit of this movie. Um, so it was it was pointed out to us uh, at the beginning of this viewing that, like, uh, this was this is a super Ayn Randy film. And, like, it hadn't occurred to me until sitting down a couple hours ago to watch this that this is the guy who wants to make a new Fountainhead movie. Um, <laughs> and it's, guys, it's so fucking obvious um, once you know that. Like, the, the, the whole Kryptonian conflict is about how... Um, everyone in Krypton is forced to be what society needs them to be for the greater good. Um, but Jor-El believes that people should be able to determine their own um, destinies. And, like, that on the face of it's good. It's also super objectivist. Um, <laughs> and, like, the more you think about this, this whole thing in light of objectivism, um, it, the more sense it makes, especially when Jonathan Kent starts saying the fucking nonsense Jonathan Kent's going to say in this movie. Um... Yeah, like the idea that like someone should be able to, in a self-interested way, pursue their pursue their own uh, like, you know, uh, destiny and gains and everything. Like that's that's some Ayn Rand shit. Mm -hmm. um, it's also like some really watered down Ayn Rand shit. So it's not you know too offensive. Um, well, I, I barely wrote down any notes while watching it, but yeah. one of the things I did write at the beginning is that Zod jumps from zero to eugenics almost immediately. God, yeah. So the, the one of the first scenes, uh, well, the very first scene is uh, Kal-El being born, and then we cut to Jor-El in front of the, the Kryptonian, what in comics is called the Science Council, um, <laughs> which is cool. Uh, and he's basically saying, guys, we should not have harvested the core um, Krypton's doomed. Um, <laughs> you know, we've got to we've got to get the codex and shoot it out into space, and that's how we'll ensure a future. Uh, we'll shoot out to the to the outposts and you know uh, genetically engineer more uh, Kryptonians. I guess his plan was to take one of those ships that had like the Matrix baby stalk thing mm -hmm. and shoot it out to one of the outposts, grow a bunch of new Kryptonians, and then when they wake up, they can like get things going again. Yeah, um, it, it seemed like the 
wasn't the outpost in Earth, didn't it have that thing already? So maybe they have sort of emergency baby chambers hidden around the galaxy? They seem to, yes. Mm. Um, which I can't imagine that's not going to come back. <laughs> um, yeah, so then, uh, like you said, Zod pops in and says, uh, hey, you guys, um, you the science, uh, science council, you've, uh, I guess they, like his whole complaint just seems to be, you guys have sat around debating while Krypton is dooming itself, Jor-El's right, um, I'm going to use guns. Like, it seemed like he said, like, you're under arrest for treason. And then he tried to name their crimes, but he didn't really have anything there. Did uh-huh. you notice that? Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I mean, it it's just like, like a lot of hand-waving of exactly what's coming. The planet's falling apart and you have time. <laughs> yeah, and then, like you said, in one line, he goes like, oh, yeah, we, we need to preserve the purest bloodlines. And it's like, <laughs> whoa, hey, hey, buddy. <laughs> I was kind of with you for a second, but then you had to get a little Hitlery. <laughs> Just a, uh. just a Scotia Hitler. <laughs> um, yeah, and then uh, then Jor-El escapes, and now he's on a dragon. Um, <laughs> I forgot about that. There's a dragon. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, which, you know, Jor-El rides a dragon in this movie, and that would be like... That's weird, but it would be way less weird if we'd seen other people riding around on dragons. Mm -hmm. Like, if we just accepted, like, oh, dragon is just a mode of transport, but everybody else has, like, spaceships. Right. Jor-El rides a dragon, though. He's Targaryen, I guess. Yeah, I get... No, no. It's just fucking dumb. It's just... (laughs) that, too. It's just there because Zack Snyder wanted a guy to ride a dragon (laughs) because he thought it'd be cool. Um, Yeah. So then uh, he grabs the codex. He, like... Zaps it into Kal-El's DNA somehow. Yeah. Uh, Shoved in the extra characters in between his code or something. So here's a question. Um, Uh They answered it in the movie, but I don't understand. What's the codex? (laughs) Try to explain it in fewer than two two sentences or less. When people use the phrase, they map the genome, this movie is using that sort of language of like, what does that mean exactly? Yeah. And, you know, you, you get the sense that the people who are saying it don't really understand. They just they heard don't. the buzzwords. Yeah, no, there's a lot that the people saying it don't. There's, this, this is like one of the most hand-wavy movies <laughs> I've ever seen. And if you like, that's that's almost the level on which you can kind of enjoy it if, is, is if you watch it the way you'd watch like Armageddon. Mm-hmm. And Armageddon's bad. Yeah. Um, or like watch a movie like 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, or like one of those big like CGI orgy disaster porn movies. Um, a Roland Emmerich movie. Yeah. Or, or like, Michael Bay. Yeah, but... Roland Emmerich would have made a better movie than this. Um, <laughs> and he's not that great of a filmmaker. Um, yeah, like that uh, that kind of level of hand waviness. It just happens to have fucking Superman in it, <laughs> which is problematic. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I guess the Codex is like... Yeah, I wasn't clear, like, is it all their ancestors? Is it, like... Also, uh, why is it a skull? (laughs) (laughs) Was it, like, is it interstellary, where it's, like, there are just 40,000 extra sort of, you know, eggs lying around in case they need to restart the civilization? I think it's, like, the... Man, I don't fucking know. Um, like, there's, is it the AI that's responsible for crafting their babies? Like, it's it said not really so, like, clear. I think Zod said it's like the genetic information of like all the Kryptonians who have come or who, who are yet to come. Mm-hmm. Which that's an infinite number of variations. Yeah, I and mean, that's kind of what I mean by like when they say decoded the genome. It's well, whose genome? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like if that's true, again, why is it a skull? Um, like, I feel like. That's probably where we should begin. Um, it's like, if you can tell me why it was a skull, then probably a lot of the rest of this will make sense. And if they say, like, oh, yeah, this is, like, the last Kryptonian that we allowed to have a natural birth, and we, after he passed away, because he was the father of this whole program, he said, keep my skull. I'll be the blueprint for all the other Kryptonians. You can just go in because you've mapped my genome, and you can just flip little alleles on and off to make more Kryptonians as you need them. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Like, that basically makes sense, doesn't it? I mean... I mean, we're not scientists, but... I mean, why that's different from, you know, saving one sperm sample? Like, It doesn't seem operationally <laughs> to be. Um, and, and if that's the case, like, why couldn't they just use any of the Kryptonians they had to make a new codex? Like, it's just... The codex is what you need to make more Kryptonians. Mm-hmm. That's it. Um, and, and Jor-El steals it, and he zaps it into his kid, and he shoots his kid into space. And then he, for some reason, has a kung fu fight. 
um, <laughs> with uh, with Zod. Because again, this movie is more interested in being awesome than it is in uh, being consistent with mm-hmm. anything. So who gives a shit that Zod is a uh, general and Jor-El's a scientist? They're going to have a cool fight. And then at the most dramatically opportune moment, Zod's going to get a Wolverine claw and he's going <laughs> to stab Jor-El. Even though they just had a fist fight. You know what would have been really great to have in a fist fight? Fucking Wolverine claws. <laughs> well, I mean, let's be accurate. It was more of a RoboCop claw. <laughs> That's true. It, it was a RoboCop claw. Um, I mean, I, I know that you uh, you weren't using any of this as a compliment, but uh, <laughs> nope. uh, in terms of the Krypton stuff, I did think that a lot of the, the background of the planet exploding was pretty impressive. Yeah. That felt to me like almost taking more from the aesthetic of something like a Gears of War. Mm-hmm. Like, a lot of the video game mass destruction work. Yeah. Where, like, I guess it's not that common in movies that sort of the whole world is coming to an end if you're not Roland Emmerich. Yeah. So I thought, like, that is sort of cool stuff of eruptions encroaching in the distance. And, like, yeah. that part looked kind of neat. The movie managed to give, like, uh, throughout, like, there's a very impressive sense of scale to it. And, mm-hmm. like, the destruction is... I'd go so far as to say pretty well shot. Like, it felt... It felt impactful to me, in a, and I understood the way in which Zack Snyder wanted me to take it, but I have compassion, so <laughs> I wasn't able to meet him there, um, because I just kept thinking about all the people dying in the frame. <laughs> like, that, that bothers me, Zack. It obviously doesn't bother you, um, which is why I think it's funny that he has he's had to like grudgingly make the second movie kind of about that right. and then pretend that was always his intention. Well, in, in interviews, like he's so fucking resentful of the fact that like we like and you, did you read what he said about episode seven of Star Wars? I don't think so. Oh, yeah. He was like, people get mad about the destruction of my movie. Like they blew up a whole planet in that one. And no one gives, no one gives Star Wars any shit. <laughs> Like, he thinks that the villain of Star Wars Episode Seven: The Force Awakens destroying a planet with an evil super weapon <laughs> is the same thing as Superman throwing a guy through a building and collapsing it. <laughs> it doesn't seem to be very aware of context and the power of context. I just, he doesn't seem to, like, feel the way people feel mm. about human he doesn't the ba- the bottom line is i don't think i don't think uh Zack Snyder values human life the same way we do i really kind of don't <laughs> um yeah so i mean uh, i guess that would sort of match the description that a lot of convoluted comic book movies like batman v superman have where it's like it, it was more of a bunch of things that happened in a row than yeah. the story <laughs> yeah yeah because they're so concerned about making it awesome that they don't remember to tell a story <laughs> um so we flash forward to what i think is probably the film's most successful stretch it's uh clark um being uh Working just a bunch of odd jobs, and we get the feeling that he's just been drifting around directionless um, and uh, trying to like find his way in the world. And this was pretty compelling because we've seen uh, the alien world he came from, and the very next thing we see is like this this pretty well intercut series of sequences that showed him as a child being an outcast and trying to figure out what was wrong with him, and then him as an adult, like not being able to like relate and you really got a good sense I think of like him being resentful of normal people for their lives but also unable to turn away when they're suffering Mm -hmm. Um, and like the fact that he had this thing in his brain that made him go help people like he kind of didn't like that about himself but he also couldn't stop it Um, it was a compulsion for him and it made it impossible for him to have a normal life because this thing inside him kept bubbling up and I thought this sequence did a pretty good job of portraying that with one exception we'll get to Um, what what did (laughs) you think that was a good way of putting it you know um, sort of the he has a weird level of baggage in this movie that you're sort of not used to Superman having yeah but I buy it like yeah he would and I don't, I don't necessarily think that the movie doesn't seem to understand it well enough to make the arc about it. Yeah. Like, a lot of the sort of things that Superman does and a lot of his choices, I don't think necessarily map to his experience through the movie. Yeah. It sort of feels like he has an emotional arc, except the things that happen to him don't exactly match up. No, they don't. Um, because we keep having to take breaks to make things look awesome. Uh, um, <laughs> I don't know how intentional it was, but I thought it was clever that he's sort of working on oil rigs and, like, 
is up in Alaska and places where people generally go when they don't want a lot of questions asked. Yeah. And like, so that sort of makes sense that he, that's where he would gravitate and where he could get by. Yeah. He's kind of at his lowest at the beginning of the movie and that's cool. Um, and then we keep going back to his childhood and seeing, uh, his, his fucking Atlas shrug reading dad, um, <laughs> telling him that it's, uh, that he should be acting in his, uh, in his benevolent self-interest and he's not obligated to help other people. Um, again, Ayn Rand, dude, fucking straight out of Ayn Rand. Uh, so is this the transition to the bus, <laughs> the moment of the movie? The bus. Yeah. <laughs> so let me, like, I, I, I gotta give you some background, man. Um, so remember how I mentioned that, like, there's one particular character that makes Superman who he is and he's my favorite character in the whole Superman mythos, and it's Jonathan fucking Kent. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Kent is the shit. Oh, Pa. Uh, yeah, Pa Kent, man. Um, like, Ma Kent's awesome, too, but it's <laughs> Pa Kent for me. Um, because Pa Kent is the one who says, you know, hey, son, you gotta stand up to bullies. Like, in every other depiction of him, he says, you have this amazing gift, and you've gotta go out and you've gotta use it to help people, and you gotta stand up for the little guy. Like, Superman, when he started, was an overtly socialist character. Like, that's what he did in the 30s, when he ran around and he, like, fought guys who were busting unions and shit. It was awesome. Mm -hmm. um, and he basically, it was all because his dad, out on the Kent farm, said, like, you've gotta stand up for the little guy. That's what you're here for. You have to, I mean, basically what he was saying was sublimate your own desires for the greater good. Um, because you have this great gift and you need to go use it to help other people because you can make everyone in the world happier and better off with your presence. This Jonathan Kent um, <laughs> says uh, you should let a bus full of children die so that you don't have to experience some misery later down the line. In case something bad happens, yeah. we'd better not just play with it. Yeah, like hide your light under a bushel. <laughs> um like, uh, did, did this, so you're not as attached to this character as me. Did this bother you as much as it did me? Uh, I don't know that bother is the right word. It certainly stuck out. Yeah. As, like, I think it would be a little weird if you didn't know anything about the character. But as you say, like, every other incarnation that it seems to be the, like, Batman won't kill people or whatever. Like, sort yeah. of Pa Kent being the guiding light that teaches him to, to have the the desire to be good yeah. to help other people. It's such a beautiful story. This this god lands on Earth. And, I mean, the, the, the sort of yay America guy in me also, it appeals to that side of me because, <laughs> like, he just gets, gets exposed to, like, good old-fashioned American values and it, like turns him into this selfless, down-home, like, good guy. And, like, we were talking, uh, like, you mentioned Chris Evans earlier, like, that, like, Captain America, those movies, they're doing these values better. You know, when, when mm. in the first Captain America, uh, somebody asks Steve why he wants to fight, and he just says, I don't like bullies. Like, that's Superman. Mm -hmm. Superman does not like bullies. And if you try to fight him, I mean, it's something Christopher Reeve captured so well. Like, being this plain-spoken nice guy and being able to make, like, the, the, the trick of Christopher Reeve was being able to look like a god, but also, like, look like someone you could maybe have a cup of coffee with at the same time. Like, I'm thinking specifically about in Superman 2 when Zod's inside of the uh, Daily Planet threatening Jimmy Olsen and Perry White, and he just shows up outside and he says, General Zod... Would you care to step outside? And, like, that's such, like, a push up your glasses, like, be a gentleman, have a fight kind of thing. Uh -huh. But he's flying, yeah, you know? Yeah. And that's brilliant. Um, and and that, like, none of that's in here. Mm -hmm. um, and in particular, it's not uh, it's not here because Jonathan Kent isn't giving this guy the values uh, that, that, that he seems to be. Though the movie later tells us that he did. Yeah. Like, and that continues on into Batman v Superman, which I don't remember if we said on mic that, that I have seen and you have not seen I it. I have not seen it. I've spoiled the shit out of myself on it, though, sure. so you can say whatever you want about <laughs> it. Um, I don't want to give it my money. Sure. Because um, it sounds worse than this. Is it a worse the movie than this one? Uh, I mean, I'll have to see that one a second time just for fair treatment. But, uh, I mean, what I've sort of been saying is that I think it it's just makes less sense. Like, it's... Yeah it fails the basic test of being a movie more than this one does. Or yeah. like, what are the characters? What are their motivations? Where am I in the story? Why is this happening? Yeah. I think Batman v Superman is a lot more of a mess than this movie is. Yeah. This this held together better than I remembered it holding together um, when, when I saw it the first time. I mean, there's still a lot about it that doesn't make any sense. But a, most of the stuff that doesn't make sense... A lot of the stuff that doesn't make sense <laughs> is uh, just character motivation stuff. Mm -hmm. Like, why is this person doing this? Instead of, um, why are these events following these other events? 
Um, like the, the the logic of the world, if you accept that these people would just act in this way, holds together. Um, and I think the the Pa Kent point, like I would be okay with them changing it if it felt like that's what the story was about. Where yeah. part of what I was saying earlier about like how the sort of his character arc that they're trying to portray doesn't really match what happened. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be about him, you know, learning that his dad was short-sighted about these things yeah. or anything like that. This movie doesn't hold anyone accountable for fucking anything is the problem with it. It's like, blow. <laughs> wow, <really>? yeah. <laughs> That's kind of incredible. <laughs> um, yeah, man. They, they, like, if the movie was about him meeting his, like, badass cool Kryptonian dad and realizing his shitty Earth dad was a shitty Earth dad, <laughs> like, okay, fine. Like, you've betrayed my favorite character in the mythos, whatever. But at least you're about something now uh-huh. instead of con- consistently trying to have its cake and eat it, too. Um, so he's bumming around in the Northwest. He hears, he just happens to hear in a bar that the army found a UFO <laughs> nearby, and he decides he's going to go see that, which is when he uh, meets up with the world's worst reporter, Lois Lane. <laughs> so I just want to talk for a second about Lois Lane's, just just her prose. Because um, everything we hear that she's written is not how you write for a newspaper. <laughs> like, she uses the first person a ton, she's editorializing the shit out of it, and it's all like this flowery impressionistic language. Reporters just, we, we've all read newspaper articles. They're fucking dry. It does sound way bloggier than anything else. Yeah, it's bloggy. (laughs) And, like, for some reason, the Daily Planet loves her, and she's won a Pulitzer, and, like, everything, like, it, it, she's shitty. She's a shitty writer. And she's, just objectively, a very stupid person. (laughs) She's not a great friend. She's not a great employee. (laughs) No. There's very little about Lois Lane that's good. Um, (laughs) She's got spunk. Yeah, I don't care about that. Like, Lois Lane, like, Margot Kidder Lois Lane had so much personality. She smoked when she shouldn't, and she couldn't spell, um, which I love. And, like, she was she was also, like, a reporter who, like, especially in Superman 2, when you watch her figure out that Clark is Superman, like, she just figures it out. That's that's mm. how it goes. Like, and she's willing to place herself in danger in order to prove the point. Um, and then, you know, like that, that works because it shows her, you know, being smart and this Lois Lane, she's, she's dumb, isn't she? It does seem that she sort of stumbles into lots of things and then odds are we'll screw them up worse. Yeah. Like when she's at that Arctic base and, uh, she sees, she's just taking pictures at night, even though like the general who runs the place has told her in no uncertain terms that if she goes out at night, like they're not going to go look for her. (laughs) Um, And she sees a guy walking up there and she decides to follow him in like negative 40 degree weather. And then she finds herself on a weird uh, Kryptonian spaceship that has uh, that that uh, has an exposition about on it that operates on a <laughs> curiously uh, trip to the moon style French uh, silent film aesthetic, <laughs> a terrifying security drone. Yeah, with a little scorpion tail. Um, yeah, it's uh, she's 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 just she's just bad. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I don't think it's it's on her. Like. Yeah, it's on like, the script. Yeah, you mentioned that she was wasted. And I think that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. And something that I, I want to look for it in Batman v Superman as well is she she feels very peripheral to the proceedings yeah. in both movies. But just the way that she shot, even, I feel like you never see her face with any of the other main actors in a two-shot. Yeah. It's always over a stand-in shoulder. Like, it very much feels like her entire portion of both, both movies was done in a green closet. Yeah. Like, and it it has a very real effect on sort of my impression of the character. Like, yeah. she totally feels tacked on. Yeah, it's true. Like, it's... And it's, you know, maybe the, the thing that I responded to the first time I saw it that I felt less about this time around was that like Zack Snyder does seem a little bit allergic to uh, master shots like Mm. he'll just go into some really tight coverage as soon as he can Um, and there are a couple of uh, little masters like whenever uh, after Superman turns himself in so basically he activates this ancient Kryptonian spaceship that he coincidentally heard about Mm -hmm. and it summons Zod who uh, the destruction of Krypton had let Zod out of his uh, out of their Phantom Zone prison we didn't mention that their coup which coincidentally happened like the same weekend the Krypton (laughs) blew up um, failed in a matter of hours Uh (laughs) Um, like it didn't go well um, and then they'd been searching around. I liked the stuff about them going to the old Kryptonian outposts, and I liked them finding, like, a zombified screaming corpse holding a gun. 
which made me think like I want to watch the movie about how that happened. <laughs> like that sounds awesome. <laughs> well, hopefully they were planting seeds. Yeah, I mean that that sounds way better than this. Um, but eventually, you know, the distress signal on the ship that uh, that uh, Clark activated uh, happened uh, goes out in the universe, and then Zod comes back. And I liked how no nonsense Zod's plan was was just like, hey, uh, Clark, surrender, or we're gonna blow up the planet. Uh-huh. Like he broadcasts it to everybody. He makes sure that everyone knows to look for this alien and he's like all right off to the fucking races let's do this <laughs> like shortest distance between two points is a fucking straight line you know and i felt like he could have provided a photo or something <laughs> if he really wanted to streamline the process but yeah. that, that probably was one of my favorite sequences in the movie yeah so i, I won't uh, pick on it too much yeah i mean it's the f- this movie's at its best when it's being like a first contact narrative mm-hmm. um and you know it's it's kind of okay then um but yeah, they're uh, at that point. That's when Superman decides to turn himself into the government, but only to Lois Lane because he's just decided that she's the bee's knees because she like <laughs> she did I guess go up to Alaska and like track him. I guess this is an instance of her being a good reporter because she did track him all the way back to like his home and figured out where he was from. And that took some skill, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Um, she meets Pete Ross, who's now managing an IHOP. Um, <laughs> Because this movie's all about product placement. There's 7-Eleven, IHOP, uh, Sears. Um, what else did you catch? Oh, God, I wasn't paying that much attention. Uh, those, are the only, those are the main three. Um, that's like that's all there is in Smallville. The, the ones that... That in a train yard. <laughs> the ones that really stick out to me for whatever reason are always the, uh, the Sony movie products. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's always Columbia TriStar. Like, that is a giant Vio logo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. Um, yeah, so they, uh, Z- he surrenders, and then they have that sh- that little scene between Lois and Clark um, in the uh, in the interrogation room, um, and then he kind of announces his intentions, and that that's one of the cool moments in the movie. I love how he just casually breaks the handcuffs with just literally, like, he's just letting his hands fall to, his, fall to their sides, mm-hmm. and and the handcuffs break. That's cool. Um, I feel like it's important to mention when the movie does a thing right. Um, yeah, and then like the because that's that that's gonna get scarcer in a movie filled with spectacle. Sort yeah. of just that it's neat to film it where I mean it's just it wasn't really a mirror on his side. Yeah, and you film it that way and it totally works. Of like that's creepy. Yeah, because we're so familiar with standing in the interrogation. Yeah. you know, mirror side of it. Yeah, that whole scene's pretty effective actually. And the and when they're trying to um, you know get them to call out Clark. Yeah. With uh, obscured uh, Michael Shannon, yeah. like, again, not an insane effect, like yeah. something they could have pulled off in the seventies. <laughs> yeah, just a staticky, weird face. Yeah, yeah. That, that I mean, it, what it looks like, what it looked like, was like when a bit torrent goes wrong, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> so it's neat that some of the more effective parts of this are sort of the non. $30 million sequence parts. Yeah. And from a plot standpoint, like I liked Superman establishing to the military, like I'm, you can't do anything to me, but I'm not your enemy. Um, that was cool. Um, but it did, I didn't understand like how Clark as a character had gotten to that place. Um, mm-hmm. that felt weird to me. Like his, he, it seemed like he was putting on the persona of Superman, like the sort of beatific way of speaking and like the quiet power. But like we didn't watch him get to being that guy. Um, we watched some great flying. Like the yeah. first sequence where he flies is just the most joyous thing that that the the movie ever accomplishes. I thought um, there was a large lack of sort of character development and just even depiction of him yes. having conversations with people. Yeah, like all the all the character arc stuff that we got about him was the child actor. Yeah, yeah. And then later we get to see him drinking a beer and watching a football game while he does the dishes. Uh-huh. I guess that counts. Um, <laughs> we know he has he's interested in both beer and football because mm-hmm. um, he's from Kansas. <laughs> Those are things. Those are things, like. you know. But contrast this with, uh, you know, Captain America and Winter Soldier where we really quickly, like, have that, oh, I got to put that on the list. And we see, oh, he's, he's a man out of time. He's got this list of, like, you know, the ways in which he's clueless about uh, our culture. And he's, you know, still, like, a basically decent kind of, kind of good-humored dude. And even, like, him meeting, um, what's the character's name, the flying dude that's his friend? Oh, Falcon. Like, when he first meets him in the running sequence in the beginning. Yeah. Like, it doesn't, you don't get a real sense that Superman does anything except appear in key sequences. And it's just kind of hibernating <laughs> Uh, elsewhere. Goes back into some kind of weird Kryptonian pod until he's needed. (laughs) Uh, 
Yeah, it's true. Um, so they, uh, so the the Kryptonians take uh, Superman and Lois up onto their ship, and the atmosphere kind of fucks with them. And that's when we hear Zod's plan in the form of a weird dream sequence. Because from what I've heard about Batman versus Superman, good God, does Zack Snyder love a weird dream sequence? <laughs> it's like, oh, I can fuck with the color timing even more. Yeah, and it seems at the beginning like Zod's trying to convince Superman to join him. Mm-hmm. I like, I kind of, or maybe that's just what I expected. Maybe his intention from Jump was to kill this guy. But he says, basically, uh, yeah, we're going to use a big machine to terraform uh, Earth and turn it into a new Krypton. That's like That was pretty much his plan from Go, right? Mm-hmm. And then he says, like, well, why, why, what's going to happen to Earth? And that's when the, the ground turns into skulls. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it goes T2 for a minute. Yeah, and like that's a weird way to convince someone to join your side. <laughs> um, I, I, I don't find that persuasive at all. Yeah, that's <laughs> um, a good point. Yeah, so, and then he buries him in skulls. Um, and then uh, then at that point, Ghost Jor-El has changed the atmosphere, blah, 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 they escape. Um, I'm not going to dignify the mechanics of Ghost Jor-El <laughs> with, uh, with too much, just to say there's a stupid thing that happens in a series of identical hallways. Um, <laughs> Yes, well put. Yeah, um, and then then Lois is flying is falling back. Man, man, does Lois fall a bunch in this movie? And usually amid a bunch of other victims, and then she gets saved. Yes, yes, pretty dark. Yeah, yeah. Well, this time it's just her falling. She's yeah, in yeah. a pod, and um, it's not looking great. Uh, <laughs> and then Superman grabs her, and the pod falls and creates a crater. But they go gently back to Earth, and then. Uh, yeah, the Kryptonians follow them to Smallville, and we get our first, uh, the, the first instance of Zack Snyder's big old destruction dick. <laughs> um, what'd you think of this fight, man? Uh, I mean, tossing the pickup through Ma Kent's house, I think we both mentioned this, and it's like, wow, that was excessive and kind of neat looking. And I kind of really, like, <laughs> I kind of really like the Kryptonians doing shit like that. Uh-huh. Like, that's great. Um, the movie should have been about their ability to wreak havoc and Superman's inability to stop all of them until he had to resort to some really terrible stuff. Mm-hmm. Like, the movie so clearly wants to be about that. <laughs> but it keeps having to take breaks to be awesome. Uh-huh. Um, like, that's, that, that's really, like, what... what it, it, there's, there's this... That's what it kept coming down to for me is there's like this half of a movie that's kind of good behind this curtain of kung fu and explosions. <laughs> um... <laughs> The the big spectacle part of the fight, I thought, while it is ridiculous and could be a movie about anything and, like, doesn't have much to do with Superman specifically, I do like that it serves as an interesting counterpoint to he is too powerful. Who is he going to fight that's interesting? And yeah. that Zack Snyder is good at making things seem, like, fucking relentless. Like, yeah. it doesn't feel like a fight where 20 people are standing around while Superman fights them one by one. It feels kind of like they're going all out on him. Yeah. Which often it doesn't. Yeah, it didn't feel like one of those, like, Hercules the Legendary Journeys one-at-a-time fights. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, that, that was cool. Like, I thought it was a well-choreographed fight, um, for what it was. It just needed... I mean, the first thing he does is fly Zod through a 7-Eleven during business hours and explode it. Like, Superman killed a guy in that scene. I guarantee... Like, we can't ignore that. You know? Um, and maybe and he that's... he was driving. Like, it was definitely... He knocked Zod into it. Yeah. Um, and, like, if you say, like, oh, he's blinded by rage because his mom was being attacked, okay, fine. Like, Make that a thing, though. Um, like, make him look back and be like, oh, my God, I can't believe I did that. Like, the that's what... Liquefied remains of the people behind him. Yeah, show us a melty guy. Um, that's what this this whole sequence needed, because at the very end, what happens is Superman comes out, and, like, the army's been fighting the Kryptonians, and, like, Chris Maloney looks at him and says, this man is not our enemy. And then Superman goes, I concur, and he flies off. What we needed was a shot of him looking around at his destroyed hometown. Like, this isn't just, like, this isn't you found yourself in Tampa and it got wrecked. (laughs) Like, this is where you grew up. You Mm. know these people, Clark, and you just flew off. Like, it didn't fucking matter what just happened. Just give us a second of, like, oh, this is going to happen everywhere. He's destroyed my home. He has to be stopped. Mm -hmm. Three fucking shots. That's all you (laughs) needed, man. Um... But this movie's too concerned with being awesome yeah. to do that. Um, I, I also wanted to mention, by the way, the uh, like the, the the last scene of Clark and Jor-El 
um, on the Kryptonian ship before he flies off to be Superman. Jor-El gives this speech, which I would be remiss if I didn't just point out how Ayn Randy it is. Because mm-hmm. it was just like, he's basically telling him to become John Galt. Like, he's <laughs> saying like, no, you've got these amazing gifts and you need to go be awesome because the fact that you're so awesome is going to make other people want to be awesome too and they'll follow you. <laughs> you owe it to everyone. Yeah. Like, did, I mean, were you, how familiar are you with Ayn Rand, first off? Uh, I mean, more high level than having read. Um, like I, I've yeah. read pieces of uh, Atlas Shrugged. Yeah, I mean, it's. Uh, were you getting that vibe too? I mean, it's. He definitely does seem obsessed with sort of fascism and eugenics and a lot of the political like. He seems to have a political buzzword dictionary. Yeah. That he's like, if I slap a lot of these things on here, it'll it'll feel like smart commentary. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And but I I. Because I, at the, the so first I'm not, time, I'm not that directly familiar. Gotcha. And it's sort of, if, if she has prescriptive advice for how the world should be run, she does. I sort of know the philosophy of just, it's basically right for yourself, is the center of it. Yeah, like, you you are an end unto yourself, you should celebrate how great you are, um, and, like, I really, like, the, I was trying, the first time I watched this movie, I found such dissonance between, like, all the different points of view, like, of Jonathan Kent and Jor-El and all that, and I was trying to put them together, and thank God it was pointed out to us by uh, your, your friend of the show, Kareem, um, that, like, that's the thing that draws it all together. It's objectivism. Um, it's Ayn Rand. <laughs> um, like, that's how you connect all these dots. And, like, there was just this terrifying vista of philosophical reality that opened up in front of me that, like, I don't want to watch Ayn Rand Superman. Why'd you make this? Yeah. Gross. <laughs> we, we skipped over it a little a little quickly earlier, but probably my favorite realization from the second time was that the bus thing always seemed fucked up. Yeah. But I really thought through what Pa Kent was implicating. Yeah. And it's sort of like, no, you should have watched your classmates die, not a bus full of random people. Watch, you know, your friends and the people you're surrounded by every day. Watch them realize you're not drowning. (laughs) (laughs) Be the lone survivor and fake like it was a freak accident that you survived. And, like, carry that around. And that he's a kid. Like, he's not even, like, Spider-Man teen age. Like, he is young when that happens. He's, like, 14. Yeah. Yeah. And also, the, 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 the weird thing about it is, like, the way that the other parent... Because the next scene is Pete Ross and his mom at the Kent house talking about what happened... And the way they're react, the way she's reacting, that mom is confirms that Jonathan Kent is right in this world <laughs> because she's going. We all saw what Clark did. Like your son's alive because of this guy. <laughs> Fuck you, man. Like just take a miracle when it's presented to you. Your son could be dead. You <laughs> fucking ungrateful bitch. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Priorities. <laughs> yeah. Like that. That's the that's the thing that hit me this time. Is uh-huh. like. Not only does Jonathan Kent have a fucked up viewpoint, but in this universe, he's right. <laughs> Holy shit. It's that Snyder world. Yeah. In Snyder world, Jonathan Kent is correct. <laughs> Fuck that. Anyway, so uh, back to the, the the third act as it's getting started. Uh-huh. Basically what they're going to do, uh, the Kryptonians have decided to deploy the world engine. They're going to start terraforming and they're going to put their ship in Metropolis and another ship on the exact opposite side of the world in the South Indian Ocean. And they're going to kind of just like like Eiffel Tower the Earth. Um, <laughs> Pump gravity into it, I think. was <laughs> Yeah, something like that. But like the one, the world engine in the Indian Ocean, like it looks like it's fucking Earth. Like it goes like up and then down and then up. And then down. Like, it's... They're they're fucking us. Um, Double teamed. Yeah, we're getting double teamed by these Kryptonians. Um, And so the plan at this point is to take the ship that that Kal-El arrived on and kind of just huck it at their ship (laughs) after they turn it on and kind of hope that a thing happens. Mm -hmm. Um, They all seem pretty certain that a thing's going to happen, though, because of drives and black singularities. (laughs) Speaking of hand waving, Kurtz Wiley and things. Yeah. yeah. Um, so meantime, Superman's got to go down to the Indian Ocean and fight this world engine, and then we get like some really horrific devastation. Like the destruction porn begins here, mm-hmm. um, and we get some really fucking horrific devastation. Um, what'd you What'd you think second time around of the, uh, the the shit that's happening here? I think it was more noticeable how many pedestrians are still running around. Yeah, and it wasn't a thing of just sort of the it's conveniently we're not going to depict this yeah there were people running almost everywhere and when he would save lois there would be other falling people tiny in the background yeah and it's weird that they went 
they took the time to sort of confirm all the stuff that we're talking yeah. about. Well, there's the the, the 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 kind of people we follow through the Metropolis sequence are Perry White, um, Jenny the intern, who I think was supposed to originally be Jenny Olsen, but I heard they brought Jimmy Olsen into the second one just so they could shoot him in the face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> fuck you, Zack Snyder. You don't just shoot Jimmy Olsen. <laughs> it would be a spoiler, shit. except they didn't even keep it in the movie. <laughs> no, they don't name him. He's just a, a guy gets shot at some point in yeah. Batman vs. Superman. You have to have an eagle eye in the credits. Yeah, God, fuck him. Anyway, um, yeah, and then they get, like, Jenny gets trapped in some rubble, and they're trying to, like, get her out, and then as sort of these concentric waves of gravitational destruction, which I thought actually looked pretty cool. Yeah, the uh, flattening cars were neat. Yeah, that was, that was like, the, you could see the gravity increasing um, incrementally, and that was awesome. Um, it was a cool visual. Meanwhile, down in the Indian Ocean, like, Superman's fighting this thing, and I thought we got a really nice Superman-y moment out of him when he was, like, underneath the ray, and he had mm -hmm. to, like, stand up and, like, gather his strength and go and do the thing and save everybody. And, like, yeah, the destruction was horrific. And if it had ended there, I probably wouldn't have had a problem with it. Mm -hmm. um, because it's just like, oh, yeah, the Kryptonians are able, like I said, to wreak havoc on an unprecedented scale. And I understand that, like, your choice was one of the choices that you made, Zach, was to, like, depict that scale. And I think that there's merit to that idea. Um, and then showing that, like, Superman was able to stop it. And I love that he's one little guy just sort of plowing through this big thing. <laughs> yeah. Um, and if that had been the end of it, like, I don't think people would have had as much of a problem. It's what happens next that people have a problem with. <laughs> JP, what happens next? Well, the, the movie almost cartoonishly pauses to take stock and have shots from 360 degrees to just show how destroyed everything is. As <laughs> Jenny says, he saved us. <laughs> nah, bro. <laughs> was, was this the makeout or is that after the... This is the makeout. Yeah, and then they decide that it would be the appropriate time for a, a first kiss like, and some quippy... Back and forth. Like, do you know how many gas mains have been ruptured, Clark? <laughs> like, there are people in these buildings. You need to get to fucking work. Well, I mean, they're on top of the flattened portion, so just how many bodies are, like, literally you're standing You're on. probably breathing them. <laughs> <laughs> like, the, 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 the glibness with which this movie approaches its destruction. Yeah, that's, that's when it started to be bad. Like, what if... What if, uh, like, Clark destroyed the thing in the Indian Ocean, he flies back to Metropolis, um, the weird... Oh, yeah, because also they threw the they threw the little baby ship at the other uh, Kryptonian ship, and it worked for reasons. Um, <laughs> before Zod, Yeah, before Zod came plowing back in the, uh, in, his, in, in the other old Kryptonian ship, whatever, who cares. Um, but what if he flew back and he'd immediately started, like, picking up rubble and, like, finding people, and we got these great backlit by the sun images of Superman saving people and, like, being Superman for the first time, and then Zod just hits him in the fucking back, <laughs> and the fight starts. Mm -hmm. And the fight is all about him trying to save more people and Zod not letting him until he has to kill him. Like, I'm not the first person to pitch that, but mm -hmm. it would have been better. Um, <laughs> I mean, instead I, he makes out with a hot chick. <laughs> I felt like Avengers 2 almost went out of its way, probably in response to this movie. Yes. Of during the middle of the destruction that Quicksilver is clearing people out of the way and yeah. stuff. And I don't love Avengers 2. Mm -hmm. I think there's a good bit wrong with it, but... But it, I do think it was probably a backlash to what we're talking about. Oh, yeah. And then, I mean, spoiler alert for Civil War, but the premise of Civil War is that even when they did that, <laughs> it wasn't enough. Yeah. Um, and now they have to be regulated. Um, it's cool. Um, so yeah, they make out, and then the fight with Zod starts. And I liked Zod's motivation for just going all mad dog, kind of. He was just like, yeah, my my whole purpose, the reason I was engineered, was to protect Krypton. Mm -hmm. You killed it. I You've destroyed my reason for being. Like, you know, the, the one of the most fundamental tenets of the human condition is the struggle for purpose. Like, that's mm -hmm. something we all go through. Everybody understands trying to figure out why you're here. Like, Zod was gifted with not having to do that at any point. Like, he knew from the moment he was born in his heart why he existed. And then this fucking blue jumpsuited little prick came along and <laughs> took that away. Can you imagine the level of rage that would inspire? Mm -hmm. um, that was cool. Then this fight happens. This <laughs> fucking fight. They managed to find dozens of buildings that hadn't been toppled. <laughs> and they toppled them. 
there are surrounding neighborhoods they hadn't hit quite yet. Yeah, like the Brooklyn of Metropolis. <laughs> um, yeah, they just, they, they like, the, the, again, the fight's not about, like, I remember, like, it really hit me this time around because I was waiting for, like, okay, is this really as bad as I remember? And there's a shot where Zod pushes a gasoline truck at, at Superman, and instead of stopping it, Superman sort of floats over it, and it just explodes into a building behind him. <laughs> and it's like a huge skyscraper facade. Like yeah. You get the sense the building is going to topple forwards. I think it does yeah. in the next shot. <laughs> um, yeah, there's there's scenes where uh, he takes Zod's face and just slams it into, uh, into a building. I mean, we don't have to relitigate the destruction porn. It is... It's... it's the, the the thing that's that's bothersome about it isn't the scale of it. The thing that's bothersome about it is the degree of negligence on the part of Clark Kent. Mm-hmm. Especially since at the end of the fight we're supposed to believe that he's so like he so badly needs to save people that he'll snap this guy's neck. Like those two things don't match. Right. It doesn't work. Yeah. Um Yeah. But he does he does snap a guy's neck. <laughs> um And I, I also I feel like there are a lot of angles you could take with that Zod is one of the only, you know, brothers he has left in terms of his original race and all that. Yeah. But the movie doesn't seem to play those either. Yeah. Like, he's really upset to play Zod, but there's nothing that really points to that being a reason why. Yeah, because the movie is, like, thematically, it's about identity and choice. Like, the movie is talking a whole lot about, like... First off, Clark's struggle for the first hour is, who am I? And then he gets that answered, and he has to make a choice between this identity that's been handed to him by uh, his his ghost dad <laughs> and his adopted home planet. Um, and what we want is for him, I mean, what he does is he chooses the adopted home planet, and we're supposed to feel snapping Zod's neck is the culmination of that choice. And, like, the reason he's so devastated by doing it is not just... Because honestly, like this Superman, we haven't established he's got a no-kill like creed or anything. Um, and so, if you don't want to like, you know, be as underliny about that uh, in this context, like you know, okay, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you if you want to say like this is the culmination of him choosing Earth and that's why it hurts him so bad, then you've gotta you've you've gotta make you've gotta make it clear that Zod was forcing that choice, mm-hmm. and this doesn't. And he has the line about how, like, Krypton had its chance. And, and then he commits of, genocide. <laughs> like, in dialogue, he talks yeah. about choosing humans. But yeah. as you say, like, it's I don't I don't get a, an emotional connection between him and most humans. No, because the movie's too busy <laughs> going out of its way to be awesome. Right. Um, I mean, there's even a scene where uh, when Zod is taking the, uh, the, the ship and uh, flying it back to Metropolis to go to war with it for some fucking reason... Um, he's talking to Ghost Jor-El, and Jor-El's like, but you could live here with them. And we've established at this point that Kryptonians have a hard time adapting to our atmosphere and all the powers it gives them. Like, Clark, you know, had t- took time with it. Zod figured it out in an afternoon. Yeah. <laughs> and um, he's just like, and endure, a li- an, an endure agony trying to adapt to this place? Like, his whole justification for terraforming Earth to take away the part of it that gives them superpowers <laughs> is it would hurt kinda. Uh, for what? A, for a bit. <laughs> for a bit. Yeah, like not only are you choosing to wipe out a species, that's horrible. Maybe you're just a callous, unthinking dickhead. But also, you're gonna pass up on superpowers <laughs> and you're into conquering. What? Yeah. Like, it's just a glaring inconsistency in the middle of this fucking movie. <laughs> and if they had not had Jor-El and Zod have that little conversation, I probably would have just forgiven it as like, a, oh, yeah, that's kind of stupid. But instead, the movie underlines it. <laughs> and is like, look at the dumb thing we did. I do feel like that leads to a lot of the questionable stuff in these, in the, like those Zack Snyder comic book adaptations. Yeah. Is sort of... He falls in love a lot with the iconography and this and that, and sort of it ends up mashed together in ways that doesn't understand a lot of the underlying concepts behind why it was done that way. I don't think he understands why anything he likes is good. (laughs) Um, He just, like, shows you the thing, and he's like, look, it's the thing. Remember the thing? And you're like, well, that's not the thing. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's a cardboard cutout of the thing. That you're showing us and calling the thing, it's uh, it's it's bad. Um, so he kills Zod, whatever, and then uh, then he goes and talks to his mom about at 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 Jonathan Kent's grave, and his mom says something about how like he'd be proud, 
when like no he wouldn't right <laughs> all the world knows <laughs> yeah like you you fucked up the one job you had um and then he uh goes and he gets a job at the daily planet and that's the end of the fucking thing his press credentials somehow yeah i mean lois probably called in a favor whatever <laughs> um but this movie doesn't feel the need to show you that moment or any other moments um behind what's happening because it's too concerned with trying to be awesome yeah and credit where it's due in terms of just punchy punchy hitty hitty it gives good punchy punchy yeah um like i actually did not on the first viewing give Zack snyder enough credit for giving good punchy punchy <laughs> it's just that the punchy punchy is in the service of nothing yeah it does feel like they probably they're taking a lot from like the video game side and i don't mean that in a derisive way no like, i think it's, i love video games it's really taking advantage of the medium in a time when you do have that kind of freedom yeah. Um, and that kind of budget and artists working on it. Yeah. And to sort of take the inspiration and the the cool sequences people have come up with that. But yeah, a lot of those punches are, you know, this is whatever the equivalent of a fatality is, you know, <laughs> one of the DC fighting games. Yeah, yeah. So uh so yeah, that's that's Man of Steel, man. <laughs> Watched it again. Yeah. So you survived. Yeah. Part, parts of me did. We did it in 3D to test your uh, your metal. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I didn't hate it as much as the first time. Mm-hmm. I Because I was prepared for how offensive it was. And I think I came in with expectations of it being good the first time. Right. And, like, the fact that it's such a betrayal of the character. Because it really is. Like, it, it, it's, well, it's not, like... It's it's not that it's an overt betrayal of the character because it's not going out of out of its way to say oh yeah Clark doesn't care about people. Um, instead, it's just nothing because it's distracted all the time. Yeah, you know it doesn't have a point <laughs> of view. Distracted is a good way to describe most of his movies. Yeah, it's just so distracted and it never like gels and like that makes me feel like more charitable like I guess I'm not angry I'm just kind of full of pity uh, um, <laughs> I'd be interested to know what you think of Sucker Punch I won't suggest you actually watch it yeah but I don't, uh, I don't wanna I just feel like with new IP he's sort of even less tied down to a story so that that's another one where it's like what the fuck is this movie about and yeah. like scenes are directly contradicting each other without explanation Jesus <laughs> Christ so what are your final thoughts on this piece of shit uh um I mean, I'll probably watch it again before I die. I, I don't know that it'll be anytime soon. Yeah. But, I mean, I, I enjoy well-made, fast-moving colors and explosions as much as the next guy. So It's not as bad as a Transformers movie. That's true. You know? Like, there are big-budget films being made that are worse than this one. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I turned off the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. <laughs> um, I didn't turn this off. Um, it's not, like, on the face of it, it's not... It's not the worst movie in the world. It's just shitty. Was it fairly well known they were like launching that they would have another one and then Justice League with this cast? Was no. that in mind during that? After it was released, they they kind of came out with that. And I that's see. part of what hurts me about it so much is like, this is like our cinematic universe now. Mm-hmm. Like this isn't, you know, it's one thing for like Chris Nolan to make his Dark Knight movies, which, you know, two of those I quite like. And then say, like, my Batman's a Batman who would just retire at some point. Like, mm-hmm. your Batman can be that Batman because your Batman isn't the Batman right. for all of cinema. We don't have it for the next decade. Yeah, we're, we're stuck with this shit. Mm. And that sucks. Um, but now, you know, Ben Affleck's been given sort of more the keys to the kingdom. I'm betting that Justice League is going to turn into a bit of a poltergeist situation mm-hmm. where they, like, let Zack Snyder out of the closet for the fight scenes <laughs> and then put him back in um, and let Ben just direct the rest of the thing. Sure. Yeah, I'll be surprised if Zack Snyder gets to direct Justice League Part 2. Maybe not surprised, but he's going to have a lot more reins on him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, so that's uh, that's it. Um, so, like Zod, my purpose from the beginning of this was, was to watch Man of Steel again. This has been my white whale. And I have no purpose anymore. You took that away from me. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, it was quite a warm-up. <laughs> yeah. So um, I'm, I'm going to head back to my home planet. Um, God, but, but refried reviews will continue without me. Um, God help you. <laughs> and, and the shit you'll be watching next. <laughs> Maybe well, it'll be good. Well, I mean, on a serious note, I just want to thank you, of course, for being part of this and for starting it. And oh, it's been a blast, except this last one. Yeah. <laughs> and just for keeping up with it. I mean, mm-hmm. having two people is certainly nice when you can jockey enthusiasm off each other when Indeed. you're feeling down. Yeah. And um, so thanks for, you know, sticking with it as long as you can. There will always be a seat if you want to, you know, guest on an episode someday or something. Maybe someday I'll come back to bitch about Batman versus Superman. <laughs> That'll be fun. 
All right, guys, uh, that's it. We'll see you down the road. Thanks. He is kind of Tea Party Superman. <laughs> yeah.